1: He's back, everyone. It's my friend and forensic psychiatrist, Dr. Shahom Das. I should just clarify, not my forensic psychiatrist. I've never seen a psychiatrist. Uh, I have seen a therapist, as I've spoken about on this show, Uh, but a psychiatrist is another thing altogether. They administer drugs and things, although I don't think it has to be so serious for somebody to see a psychiatrist. I'm I'm sure many listeners have done so in their lives as well. Um, I love a bit of banter with my mate, Dr. Shahom. He's one of the few people I get to have on this podcast who I've actually met in real life and had a real good time with him. He's part of my little motley crew now with Sean Atwood and Eric Hunley online and this episode being one of my Saturday ones was filmed live in front of an audience on Sean Atwood's YouTube channel so there are viewers making comments and posing questions all the way through. For today's episode, Shahom is talking about one of the most gruesome and newsworthy stories of the past couple of years, the Watts family murders. While a lot of what Shahom has talked with me about has been quite historic, this one is particularly difficult to hear and think about because it was so recent. In the early hours of August 13th, 2018, Christopher Lee Watts, then 33 years of age, murdered his pregnant wife, Shannon by strangulation he later admitted to murdering their daughters bella and celeste four and three years old by smothering them with a blanket over their heads what caused an otherwise mentally healthy person to snap we'll possibly never know but dr das looks into whether from the outside he appears to be a psychopath whether he underwent psychosis or whether he simply snapped He talks about other such incidents of familicide or murder of one's family, including ones he's had to deal with in his professional life. This one is rare because familicide apparently usually includes suicide of the perpetrator. After a friend reported Shannon missing, police searched the family house and Chris Watts initially told them he had no idea where his wife and kids could be. He then gave interviews outside the house pleading for their safe return. He was later arrested and took a polygraph test which in this case was used ingeniously and I'll let Shahom explain why. I don't like the term trigger warning as I'm told it doesn't actually help and also it's pretty obvious given the topic that we're discussing but as you can imagine we do talk about some pretty harrowing details and they may not be what you want to hear first thing on the morning school run for example or whatever you might be listening to this. Dr Das and I have probably become desensitized to an extent. I don't think emotionally or internally, I don't think that ever happens, but in the way we speak about such gruesome topics and details, you do become a little bit more desensitized and a bit more, you know, objective and and to matter of fact, given our respective roles in forensic psychiatry and investigative journalism. It is important to state that although Shahom talks about Chris Watts flipping out in a moment of madness or rage, there are reports that he planned it well in advance. These allegations come from a pen pal of Watts while he's been in prison. And this, as Shaham says, would change his diagnosis to that of a psychopath, not somebody who just flipped out. And that's where I currently stand. Follow Dr. Shahom Das on Twitter and subscribe to his brilliant YouTube channel, A Psych for Sore Minds. I've got episodes coming up with psychologist and rebellion expert, Todd Kashtan, an author, entrepreneur, and fascinating individual, James Altusha. But now, you're on the edge of the Watts family murders with Dr. Shahom Das. Oh no, it's the homunculus... Um, hippopotamus uh, dr shahom das
0: <laughs> mr gold you big seven foot chunk of lard how you doing
1: <laughs> you know i was mess- i was getting everybody to say what the thing you call yourself <laughs> in, the- in the chat and it was the ominous shahominus
0: the ominous shahominus yeah
1: what is a homunculus <laughs> i don't know man you, you used the word homunculus hang on uh homunculus hum- is a representation of a small human being originally depicted as small statues made out of clay. No, I don't think that describes me. It doesn't. But are you ominous? I suppose you are. How are you doing? So wait. Should we just for anyone who's not um, been, you know, been on a, hiding beneath a whatever? What's your What's your background, Shahom? Uh, So I am a forensic psychiatrist and an expert witness
0: so I assess mentally disordered offenders usually people that have done fairly horrific crimes anything from assaults to murders Uh, yeah I give evidence assess them in prisons and courts and psychiatric units that kind of thing I'm also a fledgling failing YouTuber as you know Uh, we've we've guested on each other's platforms a couple of times so yeah that's what I've got going on.
1: You know um, yeah a lot of your episodes do really well on my Uh, podcast i didn't realize that till recently and people listen for quite a long time so there must be something about your voice that uh, keeps people you know uh, tuned in so you say they prefer to listen to me than you well it's the combination because we do, we haven't done any episodes where it's just you talking on my podcast okay, it's just so like when, a synergy okay when we do have those ones we'll be able to know if it's just you talking for an hour maybe maybe people will listen even more tell us what um the, about the case it's the Watts family murders murders tell us a little bit about about that you know, you know. Yeah. Okay. That's the question Sure. Yeah,
0: so, so uh, the I thought we'd talk about Chris Watts just because such a fascinating case. I, I get asked to, to my comments about it all the time. So, I'm sure a lot of viewers will know, but he is a man who, uh, on I'm kind of looking at my notes here, on August 13th, 2018, he did something really horrific. So, he killed his pregnant wife, his wife who was pregnant with a 15 week um, fetus, and he killed his two children as well, two daughters, a three year old called Celeste and a four year old called Bella. And basically, it seems that the main reason is because he had some marital discord with his wife, Shannon, uh, and was having an affair with a woman called Nicole Kessinger and basically wanted to be with Kessinger. So he did this extreme dark act, try to cover it up, um, and basically gotten stuck pretty quickly by the detectives. Um, So for me, the most interesting part of it is his kind of personality and his makeup and what he's like as a person.
1: It's a really fascinating uh, and, and gruesome case, and you know I don't follow that much true crime stuff myself, but I know this one. I remember this all happening, and he just looks like I I don't I don't know if this is naive to say because you'd imagine you know big horrible murderer, and he just looks like you know family dad who you might meet at the you know the water cooler or whatever it might be at the office. Uh, what so what went on? Should we go? Sh- do you want to do, do you want to go further into the actual murders? themselves should we do should we go into that and then into the whys
0: yeah sure so basically he him and his wife had been having problems for quite some time on the surface it seemed like everything was fine but we we know after the fact that his wife was contacting her friends for support and that she felt they were growing quite distant she didn't know about the affair at the time Uh, and she was trying to reconcile things whereas he just wanted to separate from them then she went away for a business trip, came back in the early hours of the morning. Um, they, according to him, we've only got his kind of um, uh, narrative of it. They had a bit of an argument about them separating. He actually lied initially. This I mean, obviously what he did was horrific and evil, but this just shows his sort of lack of empathy and lack of uh, moral compass and remorse that he tried to blame it, blame the, the, the death of his kids on her. So he said that when he told her that there was no future in their relationship, she strangled and killed his two children and in response he strangled and killed her which actually wasn't true he killed her in during an argument then he drove this is you know going to give a bit of a trigger warning to the viewers he then drove his wife's dead body and his two live children over to a work site it was like this petroleum site near where he worked then smothered his own two children with blankets, killed them, and then dumped all their bodies, uh, hid them, and then just pretended that nothing had happened. So when she was finally reported missing by a friend, he did, denied any knowledge of what had happened. He's been questioned by the police, and and I mean this case is horrific and it is fascinating. But there's actually quite a lot of footage. So there's footage of him uh, when the police arrived, of him being questioned, and he actually got tricked by a lie detector, polygraph test, into confessing. That's another kind of
1: interesting wow. aspect. Wow. That is an interesting aspect. Um, and before we get to that, I want to know: Do you know? Do we know the age of the kids?
0: Yeah, they were three and four.
1: Oh my god! So they'd—I mean, the four-year-old at least would have been sort of conscious of what's going on when they're in the car, being yeah, driven I, over.
0: I don't know what he said to them. I don't know if he said that you know, Mummy was sleeping, or if he—God well, knows what he said to them. But yeah, just what was going through, on through his mind—it's just hard
1: to fathom, isn't it? This is—it's just—it's just the most insane thing, and it doesn't seem to make sense because. This is it. If you're looking at it from the outside, you see, okay, he's having an affair. Things are not going well. They've been sort of working on it. He doesn't really want to anymore. So the logical next step is get a divorce. Yeah. Right. So what's what do you think's happened? So
0: uh, uh, before I answer that, I'm going to say that what I think is quite interesting about his psychoanalysis is that lots of people have called him a psychopath. I've seen some big YouTube channels mm-hmm. that say he's a psychopath, and I actually think the opposite. I think he's the opposite of a psychopath. So psychopaths. For the viewers, uh, are, I think I'm, I've talked to you about this on on your podcast, but so they're antisocial, which means they're aggressive, they're impulsive, they don't care about the rights and wrongs of other people, uh, they d- will do anything for their own sort of benefit. They'll stab people in the back, even people that are close to them, loved ones. So that's antisocial personality disorder. And a psychopath is all those things, but they're also really manipulative, they're kind of quite parasitical in their lifestyles, and they're quite criminally versatile. So the reason that I don't think that he was, that Chris Watts was a psychopath, was that what he did obviously was extremely callous. But outside of that, his actual lifestyle isn't all those things I've described. So he, he wasn't a regular offender, didn't have a criminal record. He wasn't irresponsible, you know, obviously, you know, sorry for labelling this point, what he did was extremely irresponsible. Uh, But in in terms of his lifestyle, up until that point, he was looking after his family, you know, he held down a job, he wasn't particularly impulsive, he certainly wasn't criminally versatile. Uh, He fits into society's norms, which is something else that psychopath doesn't do do. So I think actually it's the opposite. And what I mean by that is, as you said yourself, I think he was pressurized into this relationship. So he met his when he met his wife, in 2010, they got married within two years. They had their first child, uh, the four-year-old Bella, who he killed within a year. So I think what happened is he thought that he wanted all this, and he started going down this relationship. And when he didn't feel comfortable, he didn't. He was very much not the one that wore the trousers in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So he felt that he, he, instead of like you know putting up a barrier and trying to divorce and trying to separate, I think he felt that he was going down this trap. Then he meets this woman at work, this Nicole, starts a relationship with her. He had this sort of twisted, almost fantasy relationship in his mind, I believe. So for example, after the fact there was evidence that they'd send each other text messages and he was kind of in in their text messages, they had this fantasy about how uh, Shannon didn't exist. And that Nicole was the mother of the kids. So it's almost like this fantasy world grew and grew inside his head. uh, And he distanced himself from reality and he felt sort of trapped and because he wasn't sort of dominating, he basically was a bit of a, a coward. Who you know he didn't have the balls to stand up for himself, didn't have the balls to tell Shannon until the very end that he didn't want to be in a relationship. So he just grew this fancy in his head, and he just took this snapshot, impulsive decision to do the most extreme, extreme thing that he can do to get out of this situation.
1: Would that suggest that like we there's <laughs> we've all got something like that in us? If he's not a psychopath, he's just someone who was emotionally overwhelmed in the scenario. Then we could all snap like that um i i, I. I mean,
0: it's, anything's possible. That's the answer to any question that you ask about psychiatry. You know, it's a bit of a get out clause. Anybody can do anything in my experience from, from people that I wow. assess. But it is really, really unlikely because most people will have some sort of, I think he had a break. People would have a, a breaking point they would reach before then. So they would be unhappy for whatever reason from their perspective. They felt, felt they were being, I don't know, mistreated or they just felt unhappy in the relationship. There would be a breaking point where they would stand up for themselves and change something. I think for me, he went beyond breaking point, which is not what most people would do. And as I say, he just took this really crazy, ununderstandable, impulsive decision uh, just to wipe out the whole family, just to bury his problems, basically. So I think the average person wouldn't do that.
1: I remember you telling me about this, um off-topic, I suppose, the twin sisters, it was a folie a deux or whatever, and I suppose he's a folie a un. I mean, does that, is that what that is, or just a folie? The madness thing happened? Um,
0: no, because the folie a deux is like a shared psychosis. So psychosis is different from what we're talking about. So psychosis is a break from reality. So when you're in a psychotic state, it's usually temporary, and you usually have things like hearing voices or paranoid delusions so you actually have incorrect paranoid beliefs but I don't think Chris Watts had any of those things. So he was in reality. Even though he had a fantasy, he understood what was going on around him. Whereas the twins, so just for our viewers who don't know about this case, it's a fascinating case. You and I have done a, a video on it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's about these two Swedish identical twins who had these very bizarre ideas and they were ser- seriously paranoid. They believed people were following them. Uh, they got off a bus in Liverpool, I believe. Uh, they were on holiday at the time and they decided they wanted to end their lives. So they started running across this motorway, getting run, literally getting run over by trucks and the whole thing was filmed because there happened to be a camera crew around for a separate show and they were literally getting run over by trucks standing up and running back into traffic so that's different because they were harboring under incorrect delusional beliefs they were mentally ill whereas chris watts was completely in control of his senses he just took this unbelievably crazy decision
1: it's the weirdest thing yeah I, I, no matter how many times it's explained to me I can't get my head around it I, I I, can sort of get to that okay people snap I've seen it in movies and they snap and they kill their wife and then there's that long car journey and he's got his kids in the car with him and the whole way there's nothing in his head apparently going what are you doing mate you know you love these kids What, you know how's that happened
0: I don't know (laughs) I really don't know um there's obviously something wrong with it but I don't think it's technically a personality disorder because as I was Mm -hmm. saying before it just it's just on this one occasion when somebody has something wrong with their personality that it comes out in so many different ways before usually in previous violence usually aggression sometimes offending and as far as we know Chris Watts didn't have any of that so yeah it's it's Mm -hmm. not something that I can explain with my forensic psychiatry hat on.
1: A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Got a, a comment from Adara saying that he had planned the homicides for a while, but I don't know if that's if that's definitely if that's if we know that's true. I, as far as I'm aware, it was relative. It was opportunistic and it was quite impulsive. Because mm. if it, if it were planned, that would change your diagnosis, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it would be. He would be more in line with a psychopath. But again, you'd want a a, a history of that kind of behaviour for, for that kind of diagnosis.
1: It just seems like a really aside from being callous and horrible and disgusting, it just seems like a really stupid thing to do because people always get caught with these things they they always seem to get caught when they say, Oh it was oh no it was my wife did this, and then I did that, you know, so how was he ever going to just go and then have a normal relationship with this other woman what it just seems stupid,
0: yeah, and plus he hid the bodies where he worked. Uh, And so, you know, even though he confessed, I'm I'm sure they would have been found and he he would have been the prime suspect. But what I think is quite interesting, Andrew, is the way he got caught. So uh, there's this kind of misconception that polygraphs or lie detectors are Mm -hmm. accurate. Uh, And basically the the reason that's not true is because they only detect when somebody is flustered or has an emotional reaction. And you can tell that they're not accurate because they're never used as formal evidence in court. You know, I've given evidence in hundreds of criminal trials and I've never once seen like a lie detector being used as admissible evidence. Never seen it like a polygraph uh, user or operator being called in as an expert. So. They measure things like changes of blood pressure, corneal reactions, heart rate, um, like your skin sensitivity in terms of sweating. So they can measure reaction. But if you're being questioned for the murder of your wife, then arguably you're feeling really emotional, really agitated anyway, regardless of whether you're innocent or guilty. So I think, you know, kudos to the investigators for tricking him. They basically, and there's footage of this on YouTube, they say, they basically say, he, he does the polygraph test and they, they go, they take a bit of a risk, they go out on a limb and it's a, it's a woman that says it and she says, look, you failed the polygraph test. I know you're lying, so I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell the truth. And even though he might have failed the polygraph test, she cleverly neglected to say, by the way, that's, that means nothing. <laughs> you know, lots of people who fail the polygraph test. Doesn't, that doesn't actually mean anything. It's not accurate. And so he and just then, went
1: out with the truth. It went out without well, yeah. saying, well, let me speak to my lawyer. Uh,
0: so what they did is they, they actually brought his father in to have a word with him. And his father, and again, this is all on YouTube, his father sits in a room with him and his father kind of just says, I just want to know the truth. Uh, whatever happens, I'll, I'll support you. And then Chris Watts uh, starts, uh, you know, he admits that he killed Shannon, And I was saying before, he makes, makes up these lies about how she killed the, the kids, first of all. And that all quickly unravels and he's, he's found out to be lying quite quickly. Uh, but yeah, so he basically got tricked. He's very wow. clever.
1: I remember uh, I've been writing actually, you know, my book about secrets and stuff. So I've been this, I'm, I might use some of what you're saying actually in the book, and uh, but but not give your name so you don't get extra publicity. No, I'll use your name. <laughs> but there in Guantanamo Bay, there's a, there was an interrogator who she she basically hooked up an old Game Boy <laughs> to, to to like things that she like clipped she clipped it to like people's skin and just said like this is a lie detector. And when they, when she thought they might be lying, she just made it beep. Uh, and yeah. she was like, Oh, you're like and it was as simple as that and they just would confess afterwards. There's a similar version of that, I guess. I suppose that
0: that is very clever, but the problem is it only works if the person is guilty, right? If you actually yeah. hook it up to somebody that's telling the truth, if Cruz Swartz didn't kill his wife, then I'm not sure how it would offend to be honest with
1: you. That's the whole problem with Guantanamo Bay. It can only work. It only works when they're guilty, and otherwise you get misinformation when, you know, they're innocent. They have to they have to tell you something. Ah, so you stop torturing them, I suppose. But that's incredible. So, so that you're saying that footage—I didn't know that—that that footage is on YouTube of him what, talking to his dad and slowly sort of yeah. breaking. Does he look emotional? No,
0: actually not. He's kind of whispering. I mean, you know, he looks—he looks. I'd say he looks distressed, but not agitated. If that makes sense, so he's kind of heads in his hands, and he's—he's. He's, Obviously upset, but he's not agitated. He's not shouting. He's not raising his voice. He kind of sort of curls up into a little bit of a ball and puts his head in his hands. Uh, and he speaks quite softly and quite quietly. You know, as I was saying before, he comes across as a very timid, uh, unassuming man. And I think that's part of the problem. Like, you know, I'm not in any way excusing what he did, obviously, but I think it's an explanation to what happened. He felt trapped mm. in this relationship. He already had two kids, a third one on the way. He wasn't happy, but because he was so timid and shy, because he couldn't didn't have the balls to, you know, stand up for himself or, or express his feelings,
1: it got to this, to beyond breaking point. Man, I got a comment from Claire de Lune, uh, who said a tragic case of the sunk cost fallacy. I'm in it this far. I can't back out now. Is that is that something you see from time to time? It's like people you see it in movies, don't you? Someone lashes out and it's like, Oh, no, and then they have to sort of finish the job
0: yeah so i think was it fargo is that the film where yeah, somebody... i'm thinking of fargo <laughs> yeah
1: yeah remind me what happens again does
0: he pay somebody to kill his wife that he... Did I get that
1: right? yeah so the movie version which is what i've seen is i think it's william h macy who again is, like you say he's very feeble and he's yeah. he's got that uh minnesota accent which adds to it and i he he pays people to kidnap his wife so that so that the father-in-law will give him some money or whatever to yeah, get the right, wife yeah. back uh, the ransom money and it all just spirals out of control and everybody goes too far and it ends up everybody murdering one another it's a great film but, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, is that, so is that something his, you've go on?
0: His personality—you've you, hit the nail on the head. It's exactly uh, reminds me of Chris Watts, which is I think why we both went to that. He's—I uh, mean, obviously, what Chris Watts did was far quicker than that. So it wasn't a series of events; it was just like a, a snapshot decision and an events within one day. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, he just couldn't live up to his actions, and once he was—what was, what was the, the term that the viewer used?
1: Sunken costs—the sunk right? cost fall- fallacy. Con- that costs, thing of yeah. if you're you're driving somewhere and it's like a four-hour drive and two hours in. realize you don't want to go you'd rather actually just stay at home you'd have a better time but you're like well I've already driven two hours so I might as well go so not only do you make yourself drive an extra two or four hours return but you you actually have a worse time anyway so it's that I don't know if
0: this counts but the only thing that I can personally relate to is when you've got to get up for work the next day, and you you meet your friends in the pub, and you're only supposed to have one drink, and then you've had two, and then you've had three, and then then it's gone really yes. late, and then you've gone out to a club, and you're just like, well, I'm, I'm going to be hungover, I'm going to suffer anyway tomorrow. Might as well just stay up with my friends. It is it's that, the same. It, it's obviously not. It's not a crime, but it's the same uh, cognitive <laughs> process. I think.
1: I think it's the same thing. Yeah, like you're in so deep now, but but even then, I think most of us, even most of us, wouldn't react the way he did with his wife in the first place. And then even if you had, that's what I mean. That extra step. That well, I've done that. I might as well now also kill the kids and blame it on her. Yeah, that takes yeah. something. And I mean, do do you get to know more about? I mean, obviously you you don't get to go face to face with this guy and actually analyze him up front. But do we get to hear about about analyses of of him?
0: um i think the problem is is that you hear a lot during the trials and it's always Mm. big news and there's always lots of media coverage and sometimes they even have extracts from what the the psychiatrist who assess these people say but afterwards you hear very little from them um Mm. so yeah you don't really get that closure that satisfaction of knowing what happened because i'd love to know you know what what he thinks about it now whether he shows any kind of remorse whether it's superficial remorse or any kind of genuine remorse um but, yeah, he's just a very, it's very ununderstandable person, isn't he? So even when I assess antisocial people, and people that have committed horrific kind of acts, there's usually a reason, whether that's mental illness or extreme mm-hmm. anger or they've been a victim of domestic violence or, you know, of physical violence when they were they were victims of abuse from their children. But Chris Watts had nothing in that. It's just one of these exceptional cases where there's almost nothing to kind of hook your teeth into into a psychiatric assessment.
1: Yeah, really frustrating, actually. And uh, yeah, you want to know more. And I suppose if you're him and you're not a psychopath, but you've done this terrible, terrible thing, it's almost just like, what is the point in apologizing to the world? What, there's nothing I can say at this point that's going to do anything. So I'm just going to shut up and live out the rest of my life in prison.
0: Yeah, and it, it would be a horrible life. Some Some might say rightly so. Like he would be targeted so much in prison. So, you know, of the hierarchy of things that you can do wrong, the worst thing you can do is like, offend sexually against children and then you know against women and then murder women and children and he's done two of those things so yeah i'm sure that he would be uh, and the very fact that he's so timid and doesn't stand up for himself uh, doesn't express his emotions i think he would be a massive target in prison
1: he didn't sexually violate his children though did he no no he didn't hmm. that would put him even lower i um, mean yeah i did i remember it was uh, chris atkins who was on my podcast he he uh was in, in prison for some time, and he'd sort of documented it, he wrote a diary about being in prison uh, from a middle-class perspective because he was quite a middle-class documentary maker um, who had done some tax stuff that got him in prison. And he said there was, like, glee when, like, a new batch of paedophiles were sent in. I shouldn't say the word. Shoot, I'm not supposed to say that on this. But uh, when a new bunch of those people are sent in because their status was improved compared to those people. It was, like, the lower ranks, so people, they can look down on. They're the only one, you know, and, and often they might be, you know, murderers and things like that, but the people that are coming in have done that, you know, sex with children that kind of thing, so. You know.
0: And it kind of makes sense when you think about it, because the, the people who are at the top of that hierarchy uh, probably have had pretty harsh, like, lives and backgrounds. They've probably got massive inferiority complexes because mm-hmm. of all the childhood experiences they've had. Uh, a lot of them have gone through poverty, drug abuse, so they probably feel like they are the dregs of society themselves. So the very fact they get to take a bit of a moral high ground, I think, uh, you know, they just use that opportunity to, to for once be the one that's looking down on people.
1: Yeah. They love it. Apparently it's just, you know, and, and I, I get that as well. You know, you want to feel good and status is so important to us. Um, Have you dealt with many? And it's, I I gather it's called familicide cases. Familicide. Yeah. No,
0: I wouldn't say many, but I've certainly dealt with at least two or three. Yeah. The ones that Mm -hmm. I've dealt with have always been in the context of somebody being completely psychotic. So different from Chris Watts. Mm -hmm. Um, One that I can't really talk about my own sort of patients. I mean, I can, but I can anonymize them, but I, yeah, In my book, I've written about a a woman called Jasmine, uh, that's not her real name, Um, and she was 18 years old and she killed her nephew when she was completely psychotic. So uh, she had absolutely no background of mental illness. She had no criminality, no antisocial behavior at all, never even got in trouble at school and she became psychotic. So she had these beliefs that her nephew had these demons living inside of him. And if she smothered him, she would be able to get rid of those demons and she believed that she could uh, reincarnate him. So in her mind, what she was doing was right. So upon my evidence, she got a a finding of not guilty by reason of insanity and ended up going to a a psychiatric unit rather than prison for long term rehabilitation, which is exactly where she needs to be. But that's completely different for Chris Watts. Like, even though his actions were completely horrific, there was a purpose to them. He knew what he was doing. You know, in in his mind, there was an end goal.
1: And it. I, I think I asked you about this before, but there's this feeling, isn't there? Like, oh, they got off lightly because they pleaded insanity, and everyone's going, "No, I want to, I want to plead insanity so I don't go to prison." Isn't it even worse to go to a hospital for the criminally insane?
0: I suppose it depends on whether you're mentally ill or not. So, if mm-hmm. you were actually psychotic, like Jasmine was, then you need your treatment. So, if if she did end up going to prison on a life sentence, which is what the Crown Prosecution Service were were uh, pushing for then she almost certainly wouldn't have voluntarily taken medication. She would have remained psychotic, probably would have deteriorated, got worse and worse. So in that scenario, uh, prison would have been horrific for her. But if you're faking it and you get into a psychiatric unit, which is actually very hard to do because you have experts, you know, trying to decide whether you're faking it or not, then it would probably be quite a hard, hard run for you because you're surrounded by people who are actually quite mentally unwell and dangerous and violent. So you would struggle to get with people, yeah. struggle to have normal conversations, etc. So yeah, it, it depends. I think if you're well, then you don't want to end up in a psychiatric
1: unit. I always imagine the opening and, and closing scenes, I think of um, Amadeus, the Mozart movie, Mozart's rival Salieri is in a, in a well, what would back then it would have been like, a, it was a madhouse. I know you're not supposed to say that now, but that really was. And I just think, oh God, I can't think of a worse place to be, but prison's not, not great either. So probably don't murder your family. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the take-home message from our uh, chat. My God, will he will he ever see you know the life again outside outside you know beyond bars?
0: Uh, I think what? he's got five consecutive life sentences, so he's not he's not leaving prison. No,
1: what does it mean and, consecutive? Uh, so he's
0: serving uh so is it consecutive or concurrent i think he's got five concurrent your viewers will uh, be able to correct me if i'm wrong but i think he's got five consecutive life sentences which means he has to serve them back to back which means that he'll he'll never get out if it's concurrent then it's only it's only the same as doing one life sentence which doesn't necessarily mean you end up you spend your whole life in prison because you can end up uh, being released and being put on parole for many years
1: so that means it's like five separate crimes so one would be killing his wife and then killing the kids and that kind of thing
0: yeah so as well as that there was like tampering with a body i think he got charged for the death of the unborn baby as well of course
1: of course oh my god and i suppose they give these like hugely long sentences because people don't i mean i only realized this in the last couple of years that people when they get like a 20 year ser- sentence they actually only serve like half of that so if you yeah. but he's got like such a long one that even if he says half of it he'll never leave prison Exactly, yeah, yeah, so the
0: sentence that you get uh, as you say you generally serve half of it if unless you commit further offenses or breach boundaries whilst you're in prison then it can get extended, and then the second half you do uh, on parole or probation depending which country you're in so if you reoffend during that time uh, you know like fail urine tests for drugs for example or hang out with uh, nefarious peers any of those things, and if your probation officer in the UK finds out, then you can get sent
1: back to prison yeah mm. Much about the uh, the other woman, and has she said anything publicly? Uh, yeah, she was absolutely
0: horrified by what happened, so she had absolutely no idea. Distance herself from him; didn't want any part of it. So it wasn't was it wasn't like shock. something they planned. It wasn't like something they planned together. Uh, it was the opposite.
1: Yeah, where do, oh, there's a and I've got a question, a genuine question for Shahom. I haven't read the question yet, but it's from Nosferato, so I should be careful because he often. He can be silly sometimes. Um, working in, in his profession and being an extremely volatile and mentally ill in individuals or being around them, does it affect his own mental health at times? The breathing you can hear is from Sean Atwood. <laughs> He's back. Mr. <laughs> How are you doing, hey, Sean? Yeah, great. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely fascinating, This uh, what you just said. I've been listening to the whole thing and. Yeah, what a monster that guy was! Do you want to answer that little that question from the well, Toshon? Sure. What was it again? Does
0: it affect my mental health? Is that the question?
1: Yeah, yeah. Honestly, not really. No,
0: uh,
1: like I'm very clear in my
0: mind what my role is. Uh, when I do assessments, so I actually did an assessment for a murder trial earlier on today. Uh, I know that my job is very specific: is to decide whether somebody has a mental illness, yes or no, whether. Uh, they had symptoms at the time of the offence, yes or no, whether it affect their criminal responsibility. So I come in it with a a very kind of strict framework and a psychiatric Mm. scientific reason for the assessment. And I try and separate their psychiatric issues from what they did so I think I've always been quite good at uh, doing that so I wouldn't say mm. it
1: affects my mental health no I think Shaham's a bit of a psychopath and last question can you analyse Sean's um, uh, psychological state please <laughs> not enough time we've got, two, one, we've got one minute left for Shaham to tell us where people can find him online how
0: convenient Sean uh, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> I'll get you next time uh, so yeah I've got a YouTube channel called Psych for Sore Minds I dissect a whole range of issues related to mental illness and offending so recently I've done videos about chemical castration for sex offenders I've done a a video about the difference in psychopaths and sociopaths and what else some sort of trending celebrity things like the Amber Heard case recently and uh, Jordan Peterson what I think of him uh, and Ezra Miller so if you're interested in any of that go check out my YouTube channel
1: Thank you to my friend, Dr. Shaham Das, for once again gracing us with his presence and expertise. As I say, I think Watts is a psychopath, but I like that Dr. Das doesn't just go with the easiest or most explosive diagnosis. It is in the nature of a good scientist in any field to stay calm and consider all the angles. But if we are to believe that he admitted to planning the murders, then we're all agreed that the guy is a psychopath. It really is a very, very sad case. Follow Dr. Das on Twitter and sub to his A Psych for Sore Minds YouTube channel where he makes videos about all sorts of true crime stuff. And check out the Sean Atwood channel where this interview originally aired live. Coming up our dating expert Kezia Noble, psychologist and rebellion expert Todd Kashtan and author, entrepreneur and incredibly interesting person James Altucher. I'll see you then.